Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. If anyone didn't get notes, you can go ahead and raise your hand and uh, we'll have our ushers and hosts hand you some notes. It's just a front and back, but the back's going to be really important at the end as we respond to this message that I believe the Lord's put on my heart for us on this day after Christmas. Uh, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. It's the seventh of 15 Psalms of Ascent. Uh, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, the Psalms of Ascent. And this is right in the middle of them. Psalm 126. The title of today's message is The Gift of Tears. And while in the Bible it's not expressly defined as a gift, I've experienced tears in my life as a special blessing from God. They've truly been a gift to me in seasons, hard seasons, good seasons. Tears are a gift from God. They're a blessing from God. And we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about tears from Psalm 126 and then look at a what I'm calling a Holy Spirit benefit package of tears, what they do in our heart and our lives, and even how they, they aid in God answering our prayers. And we'll look at a 12-specific benefit package of, uh, of tears that the Holy Spirit will inspire us, I believe, today. And, uh, and just real key that these tears are inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can't work these up in our own soul, our own self. These are gifts of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. And it, it is the Holy Spirit working on our soul. But it's, a, it's from the deepest place of us, be, deepest place of us, the Holy Spirit inspiring and, and ministering to our soul, the very emotions of God. And so as you're turning to Psalm 126, I want to pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 over us. So I'm going to pray this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you today, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in your inner man, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, each one of you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints What is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? We can only know the fullness of God's love, peace, and joy together with all the saints. This is what this verse brings out. In community, in unity. We will see this in Psalm 126. There is a collective shared experience of the people of God in this psalm. There's a collective dreaming, a collective rejoicing and singing, as well as a collective toiling and weeping and sowing and harvesting. We are in this together. We are commanded to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And this psalm typifies this shared experience of the people of God throughout the ages. Now, as we go line by line through these six verses in Psalm 126, allow yourself, even as my dad was praying, open up your heart, allow yourself to experience the mountaintops and the depths that this psalm brings out. Open your heart fully 
to God's heart and his emotions as revealed through this Psalm of Ascent. And this is a Psalm of Ascent, as I mentioned earlier. Some fun facts about Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These 15 uh, Psalms were sung by Jewish pilgrims making the journey up to Jerusalem from the surrounding regions during the three annual feasts that all able-bodied males were required to attend each year. It is also believed that the Levites, the one who ministered straight to the Lord, would sing each one of these psalms for the 15 steps that they ascended to the temple of God. So the first step would be Psalm 120, and they would sing it. The next step would be Psalm 121, and they'd sing it all the way up the 15 steps to where they got to Psalm 134, and their heart was ready to encounter the Lord and sing to his heart. So let's do that. Let's ascend together. Jesus told John, he said, come up here. And I believe the Lord is going to take us up with this psalm of ascent together. Verse 1 of Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. (laughs) Now historically, this psalm was most likely written about the return of the Jewish exiles from Babylon in the 500s to the 400s BC. There was three waves of return from captivity in Babylon through Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Now that's the historical context for this verse. The Lord brought back the captivity of Zion from Babylon to their homeland, the promised land of Zion, the holy hill where God would come in human flesh about 500 years later, and then he would come again and rule the entire planet for for eternity from that holy hill. But spiritually, this speaks to us about any time the Lord rescues us from sin, sickness, demonic oppression. This speaks of the transfer of the believer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Anytime we get a little measure of light or a little measure of breakthrough, this psalm applies to our heart. This psalm speaks of answered prayer from favor on high, those breakthroughs that we've all experienced, I believe. It says, when this happens, we become like those who dream. I love this phrase. Have you ever experienced something so wonderful, so beautiful, so heavenly that it felt like a dream? It felt too good to be true. That's what these Jews are describing their return to their homeland like. Their miraculous deliverance felt like a dream. The good things and good plans and miraculous breakthroughs that God has planned for your life at first might seem like they're too good to be true but they are not. They're very real, and they're very concrete, and they're lasting if we let him deliver us. It may, I love this line from a song by Jess Ray. She says, it may be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. He may be too good to be understood, but he's not too good to be true. It's real what God has done for you. It's time. I believe there's an invitation in this verse. It's time to dream again. When someone is hopeless, they've lost their ability to dream. But when hope is restored and deliverance is brought, people dream again for the dreams that God has put in their heart from a little baby boy or baby girl. It's time to dream again. But to dream again, we have to be free from this demonic cloud of oppression that the enemy throws at us honestly every day. We have to be free from enslaving sin and from assignments intended to keep us from hoping and dreaming the dreams that God has put in our heart. Know this. There is freedom in God's house today. Through the scripture, 
through faith, access through faith, there is freedom to be brought back or brought closer to that holy hill of Zion. There's freedom to get out of the enemy's camp, to get out of Babylon and get into Zion. There's freedom in his name. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. Whisper Jesus over your own heart right now. Just whisper Jesus. Jesus, there's freedom in your name. There's freedom in his blood. His blood is the most powerful substance in the universe times a billion. His blood is the most powerful substance in the universe. There's freedom in his blood. And there's freedom to dream again. Verse two, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Verse two, this result of being brought out of captivity, the product of great deliverance from the Lord and this dreamlike state of restoration is holy laughter and holy singing. You see in this verse, the the people of God, if you can put it on verse two up on the screen, the people of God are the indirect object of this verse. They're receiving something. Their mouths and their tongues are the indirect object of this verse. Someone outside of them is filling them with holy laughter and holy songs. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit inspiring holy laughter, freedom, songs of deliverance. They're the receivers, and we can be good receivers today of freedom and laughter and joy and songs of joy shouts. Have you ever been so happy in God or even in a circumstance that you just can't help but to laugh or you just can't help but to sing? You're so free in Jesus. You're filled, and it's like, where is this coming from? It's coming from somewhere. It's coming from God himself. This is his plan for you. That's the Holy Spirit filling you and expressing his heart through you, his emotions through you. Laughter and singing are wonderful signs of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. Ephesians 5 says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. So really, we have two options, to be filled with wine, which produces drunkard songs, or to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which produces a lifestyle of singing and laughing. If we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us every day, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will live lives of song and laughter, like the Welsh revival was characterized by. Then they said among the nations, They're watching these Jews brought back from the depths of Babylon, from impossible situation. They're watching them laughing and singing. The unbelieving pagan nations, idol-worshiping heathen around them, they say to them, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. The restoration and deliverance was so miraculous for the people of God and their resultant joy and freedom and songs and laughter was so authentic and pervasive in the culture of of the Jewish people on that holy hill back then that the watching, unbelieving world couldn't help but to attribute this victory and this contagious joy to the God of Israel. They couldn't help but to declare that their God was real and he really had done great things for them. What a witness our joy and our laughter and our lifestyles of singing can be to the unbelieving watching world around us. 
when we live in that constant daily remembrance of the things he's delivered us from and the things he will deliver us from, when we live in that celebratory life of a believer, people around us who have no grid for God are like, God, whoever their God is, he's real. And he's done great things for them. And then that's your open door to share the name of the God who's put that song in your mouth. <laughs> Verse three. After a threefold witness for the people of God of holy laughter filling them from seemingly nowhere, holy singing filling their tongues, and the witness of the unbelieving pagan nations around them saying, the Lord has done great things for you, they are catapulted, the people of God are catapulted out of their dreamlike state and they're thrust into the firm reality that God is truly great and he has done great things for them. They get a threefold witness. They start laughing, they start singing and everyone around them who's bowing down to those false gods are saying the Lord is real and he's done great things for you. So they're like, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Sometimes we need someone else to say, the Lord has done great things for you, to remind us what he's done. And it breaks us out. We're like, oh, this is real. It's not a dream. <laughs> they boldly and simply agree with the assessment of the nations, and they make the same statement back. Their deliverance is real. Their breakthrough is real. The strides they've made in holiness, and this is a word from the Lord, the strides you've made in holiness are real. The advancements you made are real. Even if you've taken two steps back, those three steps forward are real, and in a moment, he'll get you right back there if you let him. Do you know what activated the reality of this real breakthrough and, and got them out of the dream state that they were in and made them realize it was real? They confessed it with their mouth. They activated it with their tongue. So I wanted us to do this together. Let's go ahead and stand up and and as you're saying this verse three, I'm believing the Lord's gonna remind you of the captivity he's brought you from. He's gonna remind you of the places of Babylon that once had a grip and hold on your heart, but no longer have a hold on your heart. Let's just close our eyes and say this together, maybe two or three times. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. One more time. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I hope he's reminding you right now of the great things he's done for you in your life. Go ahead and be seated. Thank y'all. We'll keep humming through this psalm. Verse four. <laughs> There's a great shift from verse three to verse four, an incredible shift of, of there's rejoicing, there's singing, there's happy remembrances of the breakthroughs of the past. There's a dramatic shift in verse four into intercession for the things and the people in their life that need to come into full deliverance. You see, they were just broken out of that dream state reality that this breakthrough is real, but then they're hit with the reality that there's still work left to do. And that's true for every single one of us in this room. There's still places of Babylon that have a hold in our heart. There's still people in our life who are literally stuck in Babylon. They're stuck in darkness. They're stuck in the enemy's camp. They're under the, the sway of Satan. So that's why verse four is so key. That's why we're still here. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet because verse four needs to be prayed in earnest. There's that shift into intercession for the things and the people in your life who need to come into full deliverance. And even those areas of your own heart, 
Yes, your own family members. This is the already but not yet paradox of the kingdom that we find ourselves in. We're already in the kingdom of light, yet there's evidences of darkness all around us. So there's this dramatic, desperate, declarative cry, this bold prayer in verse four. It's even a demand that the people of God, the children of Zion are putting on God. They're putting a demand on him. And you know what? God is looking for people who will wrestle with him, wrestle before him day and night until they get the blessing, until they get the breakthrough. He's looking for some demanding saints because they know his heart. They see, the, they see the gap. They see the areas that are still wrong, and they say, that's not okay. We need to be Jacob's generation that wrestles with them all night until we get the breakthrough. This is Jacob's generation, those who seek the face of the Lord until he comes. Bring back our captivity, O Lord. As streams in the south, there's this cry, this cry, this demand. Bring back our captivity. Finish what you started. Sanctify us completely. Save my lost relative. Rescue him from his addiction. Purify and deliver every part of us. This is that, I'm hearing the echoes of the, of the prayer of Paul of may your whole body, soul, and spirit be sanctified and kept blameless until the day of the Lord. May every part of you, body, soul, and spirit, be kept blameless, be sanctified until the day of the Lord. Bring back, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. I love this phrase, as streams in the south. Streams, this Hebrew word in this, this Hebrew psalm is a Hebrew word for a, an arroyo in the southwest or a, a dry riverbed, a ravine where water flows, but it's not flowing right now. A wadi, if you're familiar with that Arabic phrase. And the south is capitalized in this verse. It's actually a region in Israel, in the south of Israel, that is dry and barren most of the year. It's the Negev Desert, the south of Israel. It's a dry and thirsty and barren land. So literally in the geography of Israel, from May until October, usually every year, it does not rain a single drop. Five months completely bone dry. But then... When the rains come in October, they come. And if y'all ever lived in the Southwest, have you heard of the flash floods in the desert? They come like a rushing torrent out of nowhere. And these dry riverbeds get filled with water. And seemingly overnight, life springs up. Blossoms in the desert bloom. Grass springs up around these once dry riverbeds. So this is the prayer. It's the prayer for the suddenly of God. It's the prayer for the day of rain to break the drought over our lives, over our family's lives, over Austin's life. Austin is in a drought. If you've ever been downtown in Austin, it's in a drought. You've been to churches, they're not full. We're in a drought in our nation. But this prayer breaks the drought when we pray it and we don't give up. We keep on praying it because we're praying for the deluge of the Holy Spirit to hit our lives, our families, our community, our nation. This is the prayer of the suddenly. And it's coming. Bob Jones in the 80s 
said a day of rain is coming and God's gonna prove it with these various signs that no man could manipulate. Said a comet's gonna come in the sky on May 7th, 1983. Scientists will be baffled by it. They didn't even see it coming. And it'll be a sign of the day, the appointed day of rain that's coming to America. Bring back our captivity as streams in the south. Pray for that breakthrough day. And we're all gonna feel it. We're all gonna know it. We're all gonna see it. We won't have to be like, is revival here? We'll know it. We'll know it. <laughs> now this verse four is crying out for the suddenly answer of God. And that happened sometimes. But it doesn't always happen suddenly. Verses five and six, the last two verses this morning, the last two verses of this psalm describe the patient, year in, year out, decade by decade lifestyle of faithfulness and persevering prayer that bears lasting generational fruit. Sometimes it's the suddenly, sometimes it's the sowing, the planting in tears so that we may reap in joy, maybe 40, 50 years down the line. Or for Abraham, 2,000 years down the line with his promised Messiah that came from his, his seed. David, 1,000 years. The sun's coming from you. 1,000 years. We're, we're upset when we pray a prayer and it doesn't get answered in three hours. God gave David a promise that 1,000 years later was the first installment of his fulfillment. Most of David's prophecies in his life were for, the, for Messiah, his millennial reign that's coming maybe tomorrow, maybe in 100 years, who knows, right? Verses five and six describe the collective experience of the believer throughout the ages. Let's look at it. Verse five, those, I love that word those, anyone, <laughs> those who sow in tears, shall reap in joy. Anyone who cries, who weeps over the gap, who weeps over those, those areas that aren't yet under the, the sway of the kingdom of God, anyone who mourns those Holy Spirit-inspired tears is promised, promised, you shall reap a harvest of joy. Mourning may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that night may be one literal night, might be three months, might be three years. For the people of God, from Malachi to John the Baptist, it was 400 years of night. Morning may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what Christmas is. Joy came in the middle of the night in the form of a baby. Joy shall come to those who sow redemptive, honest, Holy Spirit-inspired tears. These are redemptive tears. These are tears of hope. These are tears that are honest with their current, dry, barren, undelivered state of whatever our field may be, but tears that are firmly rooted and grounded in the goodness, faithfulness, the character, the love of God that has been proven in your lives. These are tears uh, rooted in verse three, that reality that we stood up and declared. These are tears that are rooted in the fact that the Lord has done great things for us and he will do it again. Now that... The tears you are sowing are seeds themselves. Those very tears are, it's liquid prayer going into the ground. They're real prayers, but they're coupled, they're mixed with the seed of the word of God and the seed of obedience to it. So your tears are prayers, then when you speak the word of God that's been bathed in tears, those are, that's seed, and then when you obey the word of God, that's seed as well. 
A lot of seed here that you're sowing into the harvest. Psalm 56.8, David says, you number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God remembers and records every tear you've cried. Just like there will be no more night in heaven, you know there is going to be no more tears in heaven. So this life is the only opportunity we have to worship, praise, honor, and adore Jesus through our tears and even with our tears. Mary worshiped Jesus, cleaned his feet with her tears. Tears are a precious offering to him. Don't despise them. Don't stop them when they come. When they start coming, I get so, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll try to stop it because it doesn't look right or doesn't look cool. Don't stop them. Don't despise them. Let them flow. They are filling the bowls of heaven just like your prayers are. They are prayers. When your heart is connected to God and you're crying over an issue that he's put a burden on your heart, that's prayer filling the bowls of heaven. And those bowls will tip in the form of that breakthrough, that verse four, streams in the south breakthrough one day. And they'll, they'll tip in the form of a harvest of a Holy Spirit deluge. I love this. In heaven, when we get there, or when he comes here really, God doesn't delegate the task of wiping away every tear to an angel or to another saint. He says, I will wipe away every tear. He doesn't delegate it. He himself takes it on himself, just like he buried Moses, right? He doesn't delegate the task. He comes to you and wipes away every tear. These are how precious they are to him. He does a lot of things with angels. He doesn't do that with angels. He does a lot of things through us. He doesn't do that through us. He himself does it. Last verse. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed, literally a bag of seed for sowing. So you got a bag of seed in your right hand and tears in your eyes. <laughs> That's the other seed. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless, without a doubt, come again with rejoicing, with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. A sheave is a bundle of wheat, by the way. The psalmist expands the simple eternal truth of verse five here in verse six, continually. This speaks of a lifestyle of weeping and tears. And really, just to demystify the tears thing, because we're not always gonna cry, we may go months, years without crying. It's a lifestyle of tenderness before God. The tears aren't the thing that move God, it's the heart below there, the tender heart that's responsive to his burdens and his emotions and what he's feeling. That You're a friend of God when you cry with him over what he cries with. That's all he wanted in the garden, was his friends to stay up with him and cry with him. He just was looking for friends. He knew they weren't gonna have some revolutionary word of knowledge for him or whatever. He just wanted to be with him and cry with him. That's the best way we can serve someone in an hour of crucifixion is just be with him and cry with him. That's what Jesus wants, continually. It speaks of a lifestyle of tenderness before God. Remember that. If you go seasons without crying, that's okay. If your heart tender, that's what he cares about. Keep your heart tender and responsive. That's what really matters. A little aside, the greatest metric 
for fruit and success in your life isn't primarily the externals. God cares about the externals. He cares about numbers, but that's not primarily what he cares about. It's not your bank account, the followers you have on social media, the scope of your impact. The greatest metric for success and fruit and that you're on the right track is that your heart is tender before God and before people. There are seasons where you may have one person listen to you or a hundred or no one listening to you, but is your heart tender before God? That's what success is. 1 Corinthians 3, all of our works in our life are either gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, or stubble. Where do you find wood, hay, and stubble? You find it above ground, the external. Where do you find gold, silver, precious stones? Below the surface, the inner life, the, the locked secret garden of your heart, that's what God judges you on. When Billy Graham got into heaven, he didn't say, oh, I loved all your stadium crusades, all the numbers. He said, how tender is your heart? Did you love me with tenderness? Did you love people with tenderness? That's what he cared about. Primarily, of course, he cared about the souls too. Back to Psalm 126. He who continually goes forth weeping, he who lives a life, listen to this, he who has a, lives a lifestyle of growing in tenderness. That's what it means. He who lives a lifestyle of growing in tenderness, bearing seed for sowing. You live a lifestyle of tenderness, but you also live a lifestyle of activity. You gotta sow kingdom words. You gotta sow kingdom love. You gotta sow seeds of love, faith, obedience, the word of God. You gotta care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. We have to do all those things, but we have to do it with that tender heart. What's the result of it? You shall doubtless, without a doubt, come again. You're gonna come home to the Lord. You're gonna come in to your home with rejoicing. This is the end of the story. Rejoicing, shouts of joy. And you're gonna have your arms full of the harvest of souls, of, of the good things you've done for the Lord, all the eternal rewards. You're gonna have them in your arms. And then you're going to throw them at the feet of Jesus. That's the crown that the elders threw at the feet of Jesus. That's the end result of a persevering, tender farmer. That's the end result. I love the word doubtless. It's the sure nature that the psalmist actually uses a Hebrew double verb, meaning surely. You shall surely, doubtless come again, bringing your sheaves with them. Even the verse before, he says, he who surely, continually goes forth. It's a double verb, meaning there's emphasis here. It's going to happen. Again, the end picture of this life, of this faithful, weeping farmer, this tender, persevering tiller, this consistent, crying Christian, this tender Christian, the end result is abundance, an abundance of joy and an abundance of external fruit arms full of the harvest. That's the end result of your life. The harvest of joyful shouts and songs, the harvest of souls won to the kingdom, the harvest of healing, the harvest of deliverance, and all the oppression of the evil one bowing at Jesus' feet and your feet. That's the end of the story. And the sheaves, the bundles of wheat, like I said, they're presented to the Lord as a love offering. Just like the Jews, they had a wave offering of the first fruits. Your whole life is like that. Everything you've done for him, you throw right back at his feet. 
then there's this exchange. He's like, no, I want you to have it. No, you have it. No, you. It's so good. But I believe we need tears or we need that tenderness for this picture to become complete. We need this. We need seasons of weeping to water the fields and make way for the seeds to sprout and bloom into eternal life. Worship team, you can come on up. So let's respond now. Y'all can flip over your your sheet to the back page. We're gonna uh, respond now and ask the Lord to tenderize our hearts. We're gonna ask him for this blessing of an increased flow of tears in our life. And we're gonna look at really quickly, rapid fire, 12 things that, that tears do. And here's the, here's the instruction for you, people of God. Here's the instruction. As you hear something that I read off this list that, that pricks your heart, that moves your heart, that you say, I want that in my life. I want that result. I invite you just to step on forward. I saw a heart picture of just a waterfall of his grace for those who step forward. When you hear something, that you're like, I want that in my life. It's so simple. Your little faith step, you're just positioning your heart saying, I want that. I'm presenting myself before you saying, I want that tenderness that brings about this fruit. So here's the Holy Spirit benefit package of tears. I have scriptures next to the first 10 of them that I found like this, these things actually happen in the Bible as a result of people being tender before God and allowing the Holy Spirit to work on their emotions. And they partnered with the burden of God, his emotions, and God pr- produced fruit. So go ahead and I'm gonna invite y'all to stand as well. Remember, as I read something that marks you, just go ahead and step forward into the grace that God has for you. And again, you're not working up tears. The ones who cry didn't give it any more than the ones who didn't cry up here. You're saying, I wanna be more tender. I want to open myself up to tears. I'm even making a, a stand right here that when the tears come, I'm not going to resist them. I'm going to say they are producing good things. These are seeds that are going into the ground. First thing, the first five are things that tears do for others. The last seven are things that tears do for us. First thing, tears wash the feet of Jesus. Tears minister straight to the heart of God in a unique way. We saw it in Psalm 56. He remembers every tear. He, he doesn't delegate the, the authority to wipe away every tear. He does it himself. These are audience of one tears. Jesus calls this the better part, the good part of ministry. He said that to Mary as she was crying at his feet. He said, this is the best thing you can do in ministry. Is sit at my feet and cry with me pour oil, pour worship on me. It's something that cannot be taken away from us. You know your tears cannot be taken away from you? A lot of things that you do or say will be taken away from you, but not your tears. Jesus went to the cross smelling like Mary's costly perfume and her tears. He's going to come back smelling like that aroma of worship that we gave him this morning and even our tears. Second thing, to tears provoke You know, you can provoke the heart of God. You can provoke him to jealousy in a bad way, or you can provoke him to action in a good way based on your responses. (laughs) Tears provoke the resurrection power of God. We see this in, in John 11. 
Mary and Martha, the two sisters, they both came to Jesus. They said the exact same phrase, teacher, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. One of them was stoic and had her religious framework right. The other one, Mary, was broken. She felt the gap. She partnered with the heart of Jesus to bring the resurrection. And Jesus partnered with her faith in her tears and raised her brother. Jesus was going to do it, but he needed someone to partner with. So he found a friend in Mary that he could cry with and then raise Lazarus from the dead. Tears provoke resurrection power out of God. And we might not be a literal resurrection, but these are the hopeless situations that only tears can give you hope for. (laughs) Tears unlock the 180 degree turnarounds in our lives. A heart picture as I prepared this point, I saw people in a dark tunnel where there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I've been there multiple times in my life. I thought there's no way out of this. And then I saw the tears come and every tear hit the ground of that dark, black, completely dark void tunnel. Every tear like burned through the black tunnel and a ray of light came into the tunnel. That's what tears do into our hopeless dark tunnels. They, they, bring, they bring a pinprick of light. And when you keep crying, eventually your whole tunnel is gonna be full of light. And you're gonna turn it all around. He's gonna turn it all around just in time. That's what he did for me. He did that because my dad and my mom and my grandma and my sister, they cried over me. They didn't have eloquent prayers. They just, he did, my dad just sat here and cried for years. And then God broke through for me. Third, tears tenderize and water the soil of a city for a future great harvest of souls. Jesus, in Luke 19, looked over Jerusalem and wept over her spiritual blindness. He wept over Jerusalem and her people. Do you know what? The last day of history, every Jew in that city is gonna say yes to Jesus. His tears were going into the limestone soil outside Jerusalem as seeds for the future harvest of the Jewish people. That's what your tears do as you cry over Austin, as you cry over the barrenness of Lake Travis. Isaiah 53 says, he shall see the travail of his soul. He travailed over Jerusalem as he wept over it, but he's gonna see that city come to him and say yes to him. Do you wanna travail over a city and see that city in the future come to him? Start crying over Austin. Or start, just have your heart tender before Austin. We need more people to cry over cities. Tears are like liquid, intercessory, atomic bombs in the spirit for a city. Let's water the future harvest of our region. Fourth, tears convict the unbeliever of genuine care and open up their hearts to receive salvation, healing, and warning, and correction. My best message that I ever preached to a Jewish person in 2014, I didn't say a word. I was leaving this this couple who were unsaved. They were in their, they were elderly. And I just felt such love for them. I just cried in the elevator. I just cried them all the way out. That was my best message I ever preached to them. I just cried over them because I knew they, they didn't know Jesus yet. Well, a year later, both of them came to faith in the Lord. And then a year later, the, the grandmother died. The, the grandma, grandpa is still alive today. That was my best message. When Jesus wept over Lazarus, the the people watching said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Your best message for your unbelieving neighbor might be that you just cry 
because you want them to know the Lord that you know. Fifth, tears bathe the sword of the word of God. This is from Corey Russell. Tears bathe the sword of the word of God so that we may get cut by it deeper. And then when we speak it out to others, it cuts them deeper. Why do certain people in the past, revivalists like John Edward, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Finney, why they have such an impact on their generation? They live lives of tenderness before God. I've read John Wesley's journal. <laughs> I've, I've read Charles Finney's story. There's tears in it. And then it cut the hearers. So if you want your words to have impact, let them cut you first. Let the word go richly in you and let it come out of you. Remember, if you're being moved at all just to come and receive it, you're just stepping under the tender heart of God right here. You're stepping under the waterfall of his grace. Six, tears tenderize and soften the soil of our hearts so that we can receive what God wants to give us, tell us, and do through us. This is like the rain tenderizing the soil of a dry and barren land. When you allow the Lord to tenderize your heart and allow tears to come, it tenderizes your heart to receive what he wants to tell you and do through you. Tears show Jesus that you can be entrusted with his emotions. Seven, tears invite a unique felt nearness of the presence of God. God says multiple places, who do I dwell with? Him who has a broken and crushed spirit. Him who is poor in spirit. I dwell with those people. He dwells everywhere, but he dwells in a unique way with those who are broken and crushed in spirit. So it's a good place when you're broken and crushed over what he's broken and crushed for. You will experience a unique felt nearness as you allow yourself to be tender before him. Eight, tears comfort us by alleviating physical and emotional pain. Who's ever felt physically and emotionally better after crying? I did this week. I had physical pain in my body and I was crying under the presence of beauty of God and I felt better. These are gifts to us by God to alleviate emotional and physical pain. Nine, tears catapult us out of seasons of barrenness into seasons of fruitfulness. Look at the life of Hannah, completely barren. She couldn't have children. And she wept in honesty. She allowed the Holy Spirit to move on her and weep so that she may have a son. She's like, I'll just give it to you, God, if you give me a son. She wept before the, before the ark there with Eli as the priest. Eli thought she was drunk. You know, a lot of people might look at you funny when you're crying. It doesn't matter. God loves it. it doesn't matter. She wept. And she had, she'd be, her, her womb was healed based on her authenticity before God and her, her desire to give God a son. And then she had five more kids after that. She had six kids. And that all came from tenderness and tears before God. Almost done here. Ten, tears keep us persevering on the path of God for our lives, even when the will of God hurts. They keep us enduring, even when it hurts. Another way to say this, tears help us to embrace the appointed crucifixion seasons. You know your life has appointed crucifixion seasons? It really does. It's not glory to glory. It's glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. There are crucifixion seasons that produce something that only those valleys can. There's appointed seasons where tears will get you through that. Look at Jesus in the garden. Tears will allow you to pray. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. That's what tears will allow you or tenderness will allow you. That's what Jesus was crying. He was in anguish of soul and it gave him that extra boost to say yes to the cross. There's crosses in your path. Every day we have a cross, Jesus said. If we'll take it, tears, tenderness and tears will allow you to, to say yes to those crosses. Last two, 11. This is from Bob Jones. I mentioned him earlier. Wild story how this came about. But here's the end result. Tears wash away the witchcraft out of our eyes so that we may see clearly. Tears are like that windshield wiper fluid that clears off the demonic bugs that have gotten on the windshield of our hearts. Witchcraft witchcraft blurs our vision from what God has done in our life and witchcraft, witchcraft blurs our vision for what God will do through us. So we're left stuck in the middle in a hopeless situation. You ever felt hopeless? that you've never done anything good for God or you never will do anything for him again, that's witchcraft. Tears will wash the witchcraft out of your eyes so that you may see clearly what God has done through you and what he will do through you. Last one. Tears lead us to our destiny. This is Lou Engle. So the last two, they're not Bible, but they're trusted prophetic voices. Tears lead us to our destiny. Lou Engle says, pay close attention to your tears for they will lead you to your destiny. They show us part of our divine scroll, what God has for us. What we cry over is what we will die over. See Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. What we cry for is something that we will sacrifice and serve with joy. What we weep for is a great indicator of the sphere and focus of ministry that we will be involved in in the future. So pay close attention to that. I'm going to pray this one prayer. Marissa's going to sing a song. Y'all feel free to go uh, at any time here. But if you just want to stay and linger in the presence and respond here and just say, Lord, tenderize my heart. As you're stepping forward, you're, you're just saying, God, take that meat cleaver and tenderize my heart. I can't do it myself. I can't drum this up. I can't make this happen. These are gifts from you. This is a blessing from you. So I'm going to pray this prayer. When you feel like your heart's getting hard, that happens to all of us. Pray Jeremiah 9-1. Dial 9-1. Jeremiah 9-1. Pray this prayer. God, I believe, will unlock and start tenderizing your heart so you can feel his emotions. Jeremiah 9-1. I'm going to pray this over all of you. Just go ahead and this is the last thing we'll do. Just open up your hands. Receive this. Jeremiah says this, he says, Oh, that my head were waters, and that my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Lord, we come to you, we want tenderness. We want to be responsive to your emotions. Lord, I pray you would change the emotional chemistry of every single person in here to be more aligned with your emotional chemistry. Lord, would you give us burdens that we weep over until we come through. Lord, let us feel your heart. Let us know your heart. Holy Spirit, would you inspire burdens? Lord, would you inspire us to weep over the blindness until the sight comes, to weep over the dead things until they come back to life? Oh, that our head were full of waters, God. Fill us with your emotions. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, 
Please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.